0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
1: He's an athlete. Um, great ball. he got great ball skills in the air. Uh, he's super fast. Uh, he's a little, he's a little not, he's not too much on technique sound though. You know what I'm saying? He, he's a little uh, hit or miss. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's either all the way on, he's like not on at all. So, um but he's definitely a great athlete. Complete point brought down by Diggs. We talked about one guy needing to step up for the Cowboys. Can a guy do it?
0: Diggs. There it is on the way. Mahers kick. It's good. Cowboys. Wait.
2: What is going on, Cowboys Nation? Coming off a victory this past Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals, you are listening to the Writer's Block podcast. I am part one of part two uh, hosts for this podcast. My name is Brandon Laurie Alongside me, I have my Romo for Life bestie, Jess Navarez. You can follow me at at Brandon is right on Twitter and that's W-R-I-T-E and for Jess it's at Jess Navarez with an underscore after that so you know like I mentioned Cowboys win 20 to 17 who possibly could have predicted that score I have no idea somebody out there probably got it right who knows uh, but you know what i um-
3: You know, you you mentioned being a Tony (laughs) Romo fan. I just have to mention, I definitely know you're a Tony Romo fan because you can predict the future like he can. So uh, I love that for you. And and if you all didn't catch on that, uh, what he's what he's insinuating is he did. He predicted the score. Literally, Notre Dame is over here. Brandon Namas, if you want to call him that. Uh, I just love to see it.
2: Well, and we have to give Sturge uh, the love, too. Uh, host of First and yes. 10 Podcast. Sturch got it right, too. And and he made sure that we all knew it. And listen, we give the love to Sturch. Sturch Adamas, I guess, if we want to call him that. Well, um,
3: Sturch still has his red flags. If y'all missed the round table last week, he still has his red flags for me for being a WWE guy. But I'll give him this one.
2: So Cooper Rush leads the Cowboys to a 20-17 victory, sets up the game-winning field goal for Brett Maher. Jess, uh, chivalry is not dead. Uh, I will start with you, ladies first. What is your reaction? Uh, you went to the game, just like last week, and it was a different outcome. Maybe you did something different to let the Cowboys win this time. What was, what was your initial reactions?
3: you know what i will say i'm not the bad omen for a second there i really thought i was so this just proves i'm not the bad omen i don't know who was but whoever it was i'm glad you didn't go to the game or do whatever you did that you know continued the cowboys down that path but what i will say is i was worried about the amount of fans that were going to show up considering the week one performance and cowboys nation really showed up they still went just as hard as they did the week before for opening game. And um, I, I really saw the home field advantage. I think everyone was being really loud and it was an easy game to cheer for my voice. Still a little raspy today. Um, as you know, the rules to sit by me is you're going to cheer. You're going to cheer loud, but it was really, really amazing. And uh, you know, my, my seat was right there by the Noah Brown touchdown. So that was even cooler to see just right there up close. And then, uh, you know, my best friend Brett Maher making that kick. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the crowd went wild. It was electric. That was it's always fun to go to a Cowboys game, even if they do lose. However, it's just so much more fun when the crowd is so into it doing the wave, howling when Vanderish had his uh, his his time of the night and, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun. What was what was your reaction? I know we were texting each other a little bit throughout the game, but how were you feeling? what was going on through your mind
2: uh, i guess the headline would be dan bailey who uh no I, we, <gasps> we, we, we love dan Bailey. We,
3: don't we, you start <laughs> don't know. you even go there i mm, we were doing so good with this friendship of ours i don't know that might be a red flag yeah, it's
2: putting it on rocks well i mean before i get to mine i have to introduce like we mentioned we're going to have writers on this podcast that's the name of the podcast we want to give people a voice uh, that are well deserving of it. Uh, that are awesome writers, and one of the newest yes. writers for Blogging the Boys, we have LP Cruz here. Uh, you could follow LP at at SDQ Flight Crew. LP, the floor is yours. If you want to introduce yourself for a little bit, I know you were on the roundtable uh, last week. So do like a quick intro, and then your initial reaction to the Cowboys win.
1: So put me on the spot, but uh, so yeah, LP Cruz, newest member of Blogging the Boys, uh, been. On this team for a long, long time, as you guys have seen on the Riders' Roundtable. A very long time through thick and a lot of thin. <laughs> um, but uh, excited to be part of the team, excited to be with you guys tonight talking football. And my first thoughts for that game, it was just the relief. It was a sigh of relief to win that game and not have to go into overtime. Uh, just based on the way that the game went, I think we saw the momentum shift. It's like they carried momentum early in the game. They kind of went downhill, uh gradually but i'm just relieved that's that's the one thing i said i'm glad they won the game and i'm
3: relieved also lp don't sell yourself short you're basically like a twitter legend if you follow any of cowboys twitter (laughs) you know who lp lp is like hands down i was so excited to see when you got on btv because i was like oh i followed him for years this is so cool so i'm fangirling a little bit i'm not gonna lie uh you're basically a cowboys twitter goat so don't sell yourself short
1: Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, and, uh, and I mean, I have to yeah. say,
2: when I came on, blogging the boys, Cowboys lose to the Buccaneers. You come on, Oof. and they win to the Bengals. So, I mean, maybe <gasps> you're the good you luck charm. Point. I it's listen. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I mean, <laughs> the, the stars are definitely lining up. Um, really, it, yeah. I think for for me, it was. Uh, just smarter game planning. I think that the overall theme from last week was that Kellen Moore didn't plan properly for this offense to, to deal with the Buccaneers and there was no rhythm. And it seemed like right out of the gates, Cooper rush goes down the field and they score a touchdown. Beautiful pass to Noah Brown. I'm sure we'll get into all of that, but it just seemed like that the tone was set very early on. And Mike McCarthy came out, said he was going to be a little bit more involved in the offensive game plan. So maybe that had something to do with it, but, um, I just – I really felt like the offense took a step forward. Um, They did struggle a little bit in the second half, but really to get out of the gates against the AFC Championship Bengals, uh, that that was super important to me to see, and I'm happy that I saw it. I know, Jess, for you, the big thing that you were looking for uh, last week to improve on was penalties. I don't know if you want to touch on that. I know where there are a couple costly ones, but the number was down. So I guess overall, I guess that's a good thing, right?
3: You know – I I'm here's the thing. I never want to see penalties in a game. However, I'm understanding that you're going to see some, you know, inevitably you're playing with a younger group here. You're, you're going to see some penalties. I think what really hurts me the most is that six of the points that the Bengals had on the board were from penalties. And so to me, it would have been an even better game if you didn't have that six because it wouldn't have come down to the Brett Maher field goal winning the game for you. It basically would have been sealed a little bit earlier on. Um, so so my issue is that, is is when you have the penalties that are costing you possibly the game – That's the issue is do not allow those penalties to get uh, the other team a step ahead of you and getting those points on the board. So that's my issue with the penalties. I didn't expect a perfect game from either uh, the offense, the defense or special teams. However, like you said, there was definitely improvement. And um, I I think, Coming off of the Bucks week, that's all we wanted to see, right, um, was the improvement on the offensive side of the ball especially. The chemistry, I think, was definitely there. I think there was smarter play calling. Um, I, I think the second half, I've, I've tried to sit and, and watch clips and, and think about why we saw the decline, and I really think it was the fact that the Cowboys went into the half with the lead, and that kind of created some kind of mindset of, hey, we're good when, you know, really – they weren't, they, they didn't have it like they thought they did. And I think the third quarter scared us a little bit. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm just happy that they won the game. I, I can be nitpicky all I want about the penalties. I know they're not going to go away. But don't allow it to almost cost you the game. That's my issue with it.
2: Uh, for you, LP, like, what's something that you saw in the game, like Jess was talking about, where they can definitely improve on something? Is it the second-half adjustment, how they kind of let their foot off the pedal a little bit? Is it the penalty still for you? Like, what's something that you're looking for them to improve on?
1: Yeah, uh, to kind of take the baton from Jess, I feel like the penalties were part of it. And I want this team to understand and realize they're not as good as, as people think they are. So I don't know these players by their own hype or they, they you know, feel themselves or smell themselves. <laughs> but the penalties are a big part of why the game was so close. Just told you it's six points. They won the game by three. They allowed six points based on penalties. I want the team to understand that, Hey, if we commit penalties, we're not good enough to overcome. And the fear that I have why I said I'm relieved about the game is that you cannot waste a defense, this potent, this stingy, you lock, like you said, they are the AFC champion Bengals. You lock down the AFC champion Bengals to 17 points. And he did that on three field goals and six sacks. For them to almost lose that game based on, for some reason, the penalties, but to kind of branch off the same tree as well, the play calling, I felt like in the second half, the play calling was them, as Jess said, they got it, right? They wanted to play keep away, and they wanted to take the air out of the ball a la Jason Garrett. And that's all well and good. I think the best thing to describe it is that they were conservatively aggressive. They ran the ball a lot, and I, I ran the numbers on this last night in an article. You, you guys can check out on BTB as well, hopefully coming out soon, in which they ran the ball. They had 10 possessions or 10 possessions for the whole game. In the first nine, they ran the ball on first down in the opener of that possession six times, six times. And, and six times they ran the ball on second down, also six times. So they decided to double up on that strategy of let's run the ball. Let's establish let's establish our identity. And for those that say run the ball is the key and, and the key to running, winning games is running the football, that's fine and all, but it got you 17 points and it forced your offense. And I like Cooper Rush. I love what he did last night. However, Cooper Rush, when he was tasked to throw you back in the game or make a play with his arm, the near misses are very alarming for me. So hats off go to him for a good performance, but – you can still see where if they're asking Cooper Rush to carry them with their arm, it might get them in trouble, which may justify the conservatism. But again, relief, relief. I am Marshawn Lynch thankful to win that game.
2: Well, and you brought up a great point. You know, the defense, I think, is the the really big takeaway for this game. And like he mentioned, Jess, uh, you know, six sacks. Force fumble. The the one stat I saw that was pretty amazing is that they've only allowed two touchdowns through two games to the Buccaneers offense and the Bengals offense, which uh, were at the top of the league last season. So for you, what has it been like to watch this defense really just take that next step from last season? And they might not be getting all the takeaways that we saw, and that might come down the line, but that this Mm -hmm. defense is really dominant uh, moving forward and something to kind of hang the hat on for the team.
3: So to be honest, I think it really comes down to two people. And those two people are going to be Dan Quinn, obviously, and Micah Parsons. I think Micah Parsons is your playmaker that sets the tone and gives all of the other guys their chance to make big plays. So that's why you're seeing LVE again. That's why you're seeing Donovan Wilson again. That's why you're seeing these guys make these plays is because Micah Parsons is – just so unpredictable, it seems like, for any offense that he goes near. They don't know where he's going. They can't tell which way he's going to shift. And and I think Micah Parsons really it is just so special and and i will say that day in day out again and again and again um and and all credit to dan quinn for the defense that he has built and not only that but the culture and the chemistry he's built around that defense they all play for each other they all step up what they need to and it is just so clear maybe we didn't get the interceptions that we you know we're hoping for to uh really see the cowboys get this game but again i i really think a lot of that's going to come with time. And keep in mind, similar to what th- we saw on the offensive side of the ball, they didn't get the preseason snaps. So I think those kind of things will come along more and more as the season progresses, and, and I think the interceptions will come. I just think in the meantime, they're paving the groundwork for what is going to be crazy scary come December mm-hmm. football.
1: Yeah, and when it comes to Micah Parsons, and as uh, Jess already mentioned for me on Twitter – um, I'm a person that's very hyperbolic, uh, a lot of metaphors and, and similes and such, but one, the comparison was made about Michael Parsons and credit to my guy, uh, at Mark D's corner on Twitter, where he showed me a graphic and he made a comparison of Micah Parsons, Derek Thomas and Lawrence Taylor. Uh, again, it's a, it's a reach, it's a leap, but, and I don't remember Lawrence Taylor that well, but I do remember Derek Thomas. And that's a fair assessment to me of a disruptive force, a force of nature on defense of Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons, I said it before, he's a top 5 player in the NFL right now. And might I add, is probably your DPOY this year on this pad. And I'm not a guy who's driven by defense. I'm a offensively inclined type of person, but this man is incredible. And like Justin said, no matter where you line him up, defenses had to account for him. And what I talked about before the game was the Bengals offensive line is not the best. They are brand new. They are They're store-bought, but they're still learning, you know, who's doing what, and the communication can be hard. He jammed their communication so poorly yesterday that a guy that we overlook in Dorrance Armstrong got two sacks based on that. Dante Fowler got a sack, and I think a forced fumble, as you had said before. Somebody like like Micah Parsons is a key person. He's a force of nature. And in the pregame, Jess, you know, I was talking to Brandon about basketball and my basketball takes. Um, But if you heard the term in basketball gravity, Luka Doncic and Steph Curry, the term gravity of a player is so dynamic that he pulls guys in. That's yeah. Micah Parsons. He's a dynamic, gravitational force at defensive and or wherever you want to put him at.
3: And what really speaks to that, too, is not just the respect he has within his own locker room, but a- across the NFL. And uh, this is, you know, given the second week of, of football, but every quarterback he's played so far names him by name when You know, in the press conferences, they're asked, hey, what what threat did the Cowboys have to you? Both of them come out of the bat to say Micah Parsons. So, Brandon, what did you see and and what were really some of the key plays from Micah or just uh, who who did you see? Uh, Of course, we know Micah, but who did you see that really stood out to you during this game and why?
2: You uh, you guys kind of both touched on it. I, I really want to just lock Dan Quinn in the star and never let him leave. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's possible. Uh, it seems like I know Tony Romo, he mentioned, and the way he said it in the broadcast seemed like to kind of catch my ear a little bit. He said, you know, this is a guy who's going to be, you know, the next uh, next head coach in the offseason. And I'm like, is he talking about every team, all the you know, 31 teams, or is he talking about the Cowboys? I don't know, but, uh, you know, I- I'm looking at, Dan Quinn as the guy who kind of – he he's the one who creates this energy for the defense. It all starts with him. But Micah Parsons as the catalyst, like LP kind of mentioned, you know, this is sort of the role that he's kind of developed. And the whole thing with first take last week, he stepped up and he said that he did not want to appear on first take because he felt like he needed to step up as the leader in the locker room when Dak went down. And I thought that that was absolutely admirable for him. Such a young guy taking on that ownership, realizing that the locker room – uh, they they lean on him this is somebody who that everybody goes to they feed off of and you could tell on the on the sidelines when he's not playing the guy just looks angry like I, I think Sturch said something on first and 10 uh, yesterday's podcast he said you know Parsons was on the sidelines when it was 14 to 3 and he just didn't look like he was happy you know he didn't look like it was good enough for him and the guy just wants to exceed expectations all the time in his locker room post game, he said that you know he's worked hard this offseason to improve his game he mentioned that last week and it just seems like he keeps harping on it because he wants us to know like he is the deal he's the real dude and I think that just seeing him play uh, Aisha Morrison uh, mentioned something on your podcast uh, Jess Girls Talk Boys Talk she said that when we were younger and we saw DeMarcus Ware take over for the Cowboys we didn't really wrap our heads around how dominant of a player he was. It's like, oh, DeMarcus Ware getting another sack. That's awesome. You know, great job. But to see Micah Parsons play in this generation where uh, offenses are just pass heavy, you know, and and where a guy like him could just be placed all over the field is just something special to watch. And I love watching him play and his attitude on and off the field. So probably biggest takeaway for me is just his continued success moving forward. And you kind of touched on something that I wanted to get into next is sort of like the turning points for the game. And I'll start with you. There were a couple things that I wrote down on here, you know, the going for it on fourth down on the first drive. Uh, The defensive stops that we saw throughout the game, Trayvon Diggs, third down stop on the Bengals last drive before the Cowboys went down and scored the field goal. Um, You know, Dalton Schultz's fumble, like, did that stop the momentum? Like, all these things that could be a turning point. Jess, what would be one that you're kind of looking at as saying good or bad would be a big turning point for you?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with going on it, going for it on the fourth down in the first quarter. I, I think that spoke volumes to the amount of trust that was given to the offense as a whole, but especially Cooper Rush. This is your backup quarterback, and you're putting that much trust in him to go for it early on. I think to me that set the tone for the amount of trust that really, you know, Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy had for the offense. I think that can go such a long way, and it can be so overlooked, uh, especially how early on in the game it was. They didn't need to do it, right? But the fact that they said, all right, no, we're, we're going all in. We're we're doing this thing. I, I didn't expect it. That was the thing was I truly expected them to try to get a penalty at that point, trying to throw off the Bengals, get their easy first. That's what I thought was happening. And then I actually saw Cooper Rush getting ready. I was like, wait, they're going for it. And that took me back, especially considering, you know, That's, that's not like the Cowboys to be doing that. Uh, So early on, I think, and, and really most NFL teams, because most teams would not have gone for that fourth down. I'm sorry. They just wouldn't have, it ended up being worth it. It put points on the board. So I I think that gave Cooper rush the offense uh, as a whole, just the confidence boost that they needed to continue to have the chemistry and, and uh, connection that they did throughout the game. But LP, what was yours?
1: And I hate to be that guy to reach for the low-hanging fruit, but it's sitting right there. I mean, right there. And it's the fumble by Dalton Schultz, unfortunately. <laughs> um, because you have a team, and Cowboys Nation understands this. We know what the here-we-go-again feeling feels like. So we're sitting there. And I'm myself, i sitting there in a the recliner. Now, it's a recliner. <laughs> I'm sitting there, like, almost over it. Like, I'm sitting there, like, hanging off of it, at the edge of my seat in a recliner, because I got tense. And I felt that, here we go again. This team has not done anything for a while. They're very very stagnant. And all of a sudden, they find something, a little bit of rhythm, a little bit of momentum. And I believe on that drive, they were very aggressive. I think they had a first down play action for 24 yards to C.D. Lamb. So they found something right away. And they get down near the red zone, which is, you know, Maha range more or less, right, 35-ish yard line. And then the fumble happens. And it's like, okay, here we go again. And it just felt like. Now, instead of putting that game away, because I felt like they scored uh, a field goal there, the game was pretty much over at that point, in in my mind. That's how I I looked at it. And I just felt like that changed the game. It made us feel nervous. The Bengals found confidence. The Bengals found confidence. And I have to reiterate this. These are the AFC champion Bengals. So they felt confident in themselves. And while they gained confidence, I lost all of mine. So I lost, you know, I, I lost it for a second. Literally lost it for a second off that fumble. And I think that was the major turning point the game like it was in doubt for me.
3: Did you fumble off of your recliner?
2: Oh yeah, I, I hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the ground in anger.
3: <laughs> Brandon, what about you?
2: I, I mean, that's a great point. I, I wasn't really looking at it that way. I did think it was a big turning point for the game but looking at it as yes they were moving down the field and you figure maybe they would have scored a touchdown and really put the game away and never really left it to chance but i think the trayvon Diggs uh third down stop you know it's almost like pick your poison with his skill set now that he's three years into his career the guy, okay, you know, maybe maybe not getting the interceptions that he was last season. I think that they will come, but and he was very close on a few of them yesterday. Uh, but just to show the instincts and him watching tape, seeing that he really cares about what happens for game planning during the week, and he's really focused in that. The, you know, out of the flat third down call that they had for uh, the Bengals to Tyler Boyd, I, that was a beautiful play call. Uh, I thought that if he didn't get to Tyler Boyd, Boyd would have been up the field. It probably would have been maybe closer to the 40-yard line because nobody was really close by. Uh, and the fact that he jumped on the ball so quickly and made a sure tackle, didn't lean in with his head or anything. Um, it, it was just something that juiced up the crowd and kind of like what you're saying where it's like, oh, we, here we go again. It brought me back to like say, oh, man, they could they could really do this. They could really win this game. And I thought that that was a turning point for me that, you know, it, it really set the charge for Cooper Rush to Take the ball back in his hands, march down the field and set up the game winning field goal. So uh, I thought that that one was was a big turning point for me and kind of we'll talk about the rest of the game as we go through our top 10 power rankings again. And then also a game that we're going to be playing as well. But to kind of recap like the Monday headlines that we're looking at here. On the injury news, you know, we mentioned Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz went down uh, with a knee injury during the game. He went back in but then pulled himself out. It doesn't look like that there's any structural damage. Just a little soreness might be held out this weekend. It's kind of like a wait and see, see by the end of the week. Uh, Mike McCarthy also mentioned that Michael Gallup is going to be getting a full workload this week and potential return, and same with Peter. So, Jess, I don't know what also you're hearing on the injury front
3: yeah so just a little note on dalton schultz it's the right knee and it's the same injury that zeke had last season um so to me it's a little worrisome even if he does make a quick return because i I think after the fact that we learned that zeke you know was was hurting a little bit more than we thought it all clicked and made sense um considering what we did not see out of him that we were expecting. So I, I think Dalton Schultz's injury is something to keep an eye on. As for Dak, um, I, I really think that timeline's going to be a little bit more interesting than we're all than we're all expecting. So uh, I don't know if y'all heard Steven on the fan uh, this morning, but uh, keep in mind we record this on Monday, so Monday morning, but he is speculating an earlier return uh, than – you know, we all thought so. I don't know. I I would rather continue to ride on the Cooper train until Dak is fully healed. I'm I'm not trying to risk injury on Dak uh, by any means.
2: You bring up a good point. I, I think that that's the big debate right now is if Cooper Rush can go into New York and win a game, does that at least buy you a little bit more time for recovery? It's like with every win, you buy an extra week for Dak to kind of sit and relax. So that's my same fear as well. We saw Micah Parsons kind of hobbling a little bit around yesterday uh, towards the end of the game. He did mention in the locker room that it's just uh, people deal with injuries all the time. I mean, if anybody's going to be a warrior and brush anything off, it's him. Um, C.D. Lamb uh, was asked as well uh, how he was feeling. There was a moment where he got tackled from behind and was slow to get up, but I love that he mentioned that he, he kind of shoved the trainers off. Uh, he told his teammates, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stay in the game. You got to pull me out of this game uh, if, if you want me to be checked out in the tent. So he seems pretty good as well, too. And then, of course, you know, the same with, uh, you know, Terrell Basham still on IR. You have uh, J. Ron Curse kind of working himself back. You know, Jess mentioned Dak and everything. And just really Michael Gallup's a big, big one. I don't know, LP, for you, if, Mike, if Michael Gallup's ready to go for the Giants, do you play him or do you sit him for one more week?
1: So my th- thing when it comes to players is if they can go, let them play. I've always been like that. I, I always had that approach. Even when, I mean, I'm not a, a pro athlete or anything like that. But if I could go, I'm going to play. Uh, and I, and I know what I said about Dak Prescott, and I, I get it. And you want to protect the franchise, you you protect the fortune. But if he tells you he can play, he plays to me. But that's not how the Cowboys operate. And I get it um, with the trainer; they 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 want to see their guys fully healthy. But I feel like, and I've said this before when it comes to games, I don't take any game in the NFL for granted. So where it's easy to say, okay, let's let Dak rest and come back and Cooper's handling it. The margin of winning and losing games is very thin, and it was yesterday as well, if we're being honest. So I feel like if Michael Gallup can play, Dak Prescott can play, go right ahead and play because at this point they're sitting at one and one. All of a sudden, if your guys come back and they're healthy enough to play and you're performing way better than you expected, now we start talking about something beyond just – you know, a division title. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's seating for the playoffs. So I I feel like if players could play, let them play, let them play because teams must have game plan for a healthy player like Dak Prescott or Michael Gallup. So let them play.
3: I think something about Michael Gallup too, that, um, You know, in the excitement of him returning, a lot of people forget that his workload is not going to be the Michael Gallup we saw pre-injury, right? So um, I I think if they they want to play him, to play him in and, and kind of ease his way in. I wouldn't have an issue with that. I think uh, he's been taking part in practice. He was in pads for the first time last week. So, I I mean, hey, I'm with ULP when it comes to Michael Gallup. If he's good to play, he's been rehabbing. He's He's been doing what he's, he needs to do to get back in there uh, as soon as he can. With Dak, I, I just – I have such a hard time with Dak's injury because – you know, it's, it's your franchise quarterback. It's, it's his throwing hand. And, and so I, I just want to continue to see how his, uh, rehab progresses, if you will. I know he's supposed to get his stitches out this week. So we're still in that seven to 10 day period that Mike McCarthy had mentioned, you know, last week for his resting period and then going from there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting take, but Brandon, how do you feel? Which, which side of the fence do you lean on with that?
2: I, I think uh, the win yesterday definitely put a little bit uh, things at ease for me. There's not this feeling of pressing like, oh, my God, we got to get everybody back right away. Uh, I think – Jess, we talked about this last week, you and I, and how we saw Chris Godwin go down. And it wasn't with a knee injury or anything, but it was a hamstring. And it's almost like maybe his conditioning uh, wasn't as good as it could be because he was trying to get back and he didn't practice in like a full regimen of the off season. And that's the same fear I kind of have with somebody that we didn't really touch on in the injury side because he's not really injured is uh, Jason Peters, you know, is – for him he's still working his way back he didn't have a off season he's you know going to be working out in pads and kind of revamping i don't know if it's going to be working with the team per se and team period but you know he's still working his way back and i don't want somebody like that who can be dominant who could really help like you mentioned LP to help with this sort of playoff push get injured early on and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's lost for the season Um, you know, so for him, I I think rest a little bit, but if Michael Gallup's good to go, I I trust him. I trust the doctors. I think that, that, you know, for them, they've had a great relationship and the doctors for the Cowboys are uh, the best of the best. So if they say he's good to go, I don't see why he couldn't have 10 to 15 snaps. Um, on Monday night against the Giants, just like what Jess said, kind of to ease his way back into it, not a full, you know, 30, 40 snap, you know count, but something where it's like 10 to 15 snaps. Just get his feet wet, um, maybe stretch the field a little bit, but a lot of quick passes, stuff like that and just just get down. Uh, you know, you don't have to be fighting for any yards, just just get down. and um, you know, I don't know when I think about Jason Peters and we could touch on this a little bit before you go into our top 10, uh, with how well the offensive line played yesterday, and they weren't perfect by any means, but definitely more improved, Terrence Steele was a lot better. Uh, Tyler Smith continues to improve. Matt Farniak um, is is serviceable as of right now until maybe a Connor McGovern comes back. LP, I'll start with you. Do you think Jason Peters has a spot on this line right now, or do you think he's just going to be a pretty good swing tackle?
1: That's a decorated player with the last skins on the wall who is, in my mind, from what I've seen, people that I trust on Twitter, your your Don Ownings of the world who watch film. Say he's a plug-and-play player. If you want this team to be at their best with no drop-off, you must play Jason Peters. It's, it's that simple. Um, and I think with this team, they're better suited right now to run, run block versus pass protect. Jason Peters can pass protect very well, even at 40 years old. I believe he's 40 years old. So if you want to get the most and maximize the most out of your offense from the running standpoint, but also from the passing standpoint, which is vital, I think you have to get him in, which means, of course, who gets moved around. Um, and to his credit, I think he's been a great, great option at left tackle. He's been everything that we expected and who came in, Tyler Smith I'm talking about, who came in not with the best appeal to the fans. He's been great at left tackle. But some believe that he can be even better at left guard. And if that's the case, and that gives you that opportunity to learn, then why not? Why not cross-train them to to be a great guard and have a good left tackle? So, yeah, by all means, please, play them.
3: And I just want to say, what a good problem to have that you have such a veteran and flexible player. The the debate we're having is, Mm -hmm. where should we put this veteran player in our O-line? I mean... I think that's being lost in, in all of the conversation is this is such a good problem, especially for the Cowboys O-line to have, that they have this veteran player that they can decide how they want to plug him in and decide how to utilize him. And and I think even in the meantime, you know, I talked about this on Girls Talk, Boys Talk um, earlier on, on Monday um, was – he brings that veteran leadership to the locker room and he brings the mentorship to, you know, a young Tyler Smith who was getting a lot of scrutiny two weeks ago and, and who really has stepped up and, and hasn't really given me any concern so far. And uh, you know, Aisha Morrison with girls talk, boys talk, she said, at what point have you been worried about Tyler Smith in the last two games? I, I mean, really there wasn't an exact point where it was like, Oh, my eyes are on him. What is he doing? He shouldn't be there. He's really stepped up. And I think a lot of that is Jason Peters coaching him and, and really being that mentor for him. So um, I, I want to continue to see how things play out, especially with McGovern still being injured. I I just think there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle before you decide to get to the final picture. Um, But I just, I think, Whatever they do, they have multiple options that are all good. Um, it's just playing smart and it's utilizing who you have because you're not, you might not have Jason Peters next year. So, you know, why not utilize him while you do have him?
2: Yeah. Uh, you, you brought up a great point. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny how like four weeks ago the sky was falling in Dallas. And now it's like, man, we can't find a spot for Peters. He's a good mentor, you know, and, and he's okay with that. Like he mentioned, no matter what his role is, he's going to do his best just to mentor. And I know even pregame yesterday, or on on Sunday, you know, he he was talking to Tyler Smith. He was talking to the offensive lineman, giving him tips and everything. So it was great to kind of see just that and how he's really kind of taking Tyler Smith under his wing and – and even too with Matt Farniak you know he might not have been the absolute best yesterday but him getting snaps against the Cincinnati Bengals I think bodes well for him in his development in the future you know if he was getting it against the Giants which they have a formidable front but not as talented as a defensive front like the Bengals uh, I think that it's great for him to kind of get into that position and for Dallas to see okay where are we at with him in his development is he a better guard is he a better center because he did come in last season against the uh against the Eagles at the end of the year and he played center and he looked great. Um, But, you know, just to see him with his development and see where it goes. So I, I agree.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
2: we'll transition to the top 10 power ranking. I think that, you know, we've been sitting on it long enough. Uh, there's a lot of great things. It's, it, it, Jess and I, when we were talking to LP last week, we were like, man, it's slim pickings. I know that the team's 53 players strong, but when you're trying to find top 10 performers in a loss, like last week, it's, it's very difficult, but on a game like Sunday, it's, uh, it's actually just as hard to find uh, 10 performers who you want to select. So, You know, how we do the game is we go through, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and number one. And we grade it out at a point system. I have a spreadsheet all labeled out. I went through last week, took my list, Jess's list, and we're going to be giving points to uh, each player that appears on the list. And at the end of the season, we're going to grade them out, see how they performed, and then see who was the best of the best for the Dallas Cowboys in 2022. So, LP, since you're the guest, I will start with you at number 10, 9, and 8. Who are your three guys at the bottom of the list and why did you pick those?
1: So 10, 9, and 8. So I started my number 10 with Terrence Steele. And Terrence Steele bounced back in a humongous way last week. Uh, from last week, pardon me, from last week. Uh he had a rough go against Tampa, a lot of penalties on on, on his side, but you saw early in the running game, he was getting pushed, getting to a second level. He played a great game and to me, I had to spotlight him because he played that game right in front of his former counterpart, Lyle Collins. It was night and day, and I hate to always give this team their their chops. And I I know I'm hard on the front office, but they should feel vindicated for what they did, making that move to see it on that stage, even in a microcosm in a very small sample size. I see Terrence Steele wash guys out while the guy that he replaced, I'm sorry, the, the guy that's no longer there. uh got embarrassed by michael parsons it's i mean <laughs> you got to talk about that i can't ignore that so terrence Silf is my number 10 on my list uh number nine keeping the same theme of guys who are no longer here and their replacement doing very well is dorance armstrong uh Dorrance armstrong is a player that i think is on the incline meaning his career is on an upward trend he's only 24 years old they re-signed him he's productive i know again Twitter Goat, me, LP Cruz at SDQ Flight Crew. (laughs) I said before, on the way out, when they let go of Randy Gregory, I said, hey, look out for this guy, Dorrance Armstrong. His production is almost very similar to Randy Gregory. It's not that much of a drop-off in the production standpoint. They're different players, maybe different athletic build and archetypes, but this guy has a motor, he has a push, and he gets to the backfield. When he gets there, you're not getting away. So my number nine is Dorrance Armstrong. Watch that guy. Watch him. I think he's going on a hot streak. And then number eight, you guys had talked about uh, before, Donovan Wilson. Donovan Wilson was making tackles all over the field. He was knocking guys backwards, as he's always done as a Cowboy when healthy. He was making his presence known. He was making statements out there. He was out there cashing checks. Big time game from uh, Donovan Wilson. And also, was given some love by Brian Baldinger and Baldy's Breakdown. So, if you guys are on Twitter, check that one out. Baldy's Breakdown spotlighting our guy at number eight, Donovan Wilson.
2: Jess, uh, any complaints with his uh, bottom three or you kind of it lines up pretty similar to yours or what, what do you what do you think?
3: So it doesn't line up with mine, but I think the reasoning is great. And I, I trust that LP's list is going to be great. So it's a TTP kind of thing. You got to trust the process, you know, but uh, what's what I love about this list is, is you get different perspectives from different people that watch football and it really gives you a well-rounded view of, of these players. So LP has a different list than I do, I'm sure. But, uh, and then Brandon, I'm sure your list is different than ours. Like, it just makes it better. So uh, my number ten, and and this might be a little controversial here. I had Zeke at number ten, and and this is because the guy only had ten touches on the ball uh, against the Bucks. He had fifteen during this game. And, and was it his best game? No. But what I appreciate about Zeke all of the time is once you are getting the man, the ball, to establish that run, he doesn't stop. And, and I just, I saw glimpses of, of rookie year Zeke trying to push through, and, and I just, oh, man, I want to keep seeing them establish that run with him and allow him to break through because I truly, truly believe he still has it. I don't buy into, you know, what a lot of people are saying about him. So I had Zeke at my number 10. Um number nine, I had Tony Pollard. And that's because Tony Pollard did not have a great game against the Bucks. I mean, really, it just wasn't a great game overall, right? But here's what here's what I like. Uh, they utilized Tony Pollard to his strengths for this game right we know TP is not great with the pass pro they were not trying to force him into the pass pro uh, during this game and they really really utilized him uh, I think in the in the way he's most effective come you know Sundays Sunday's game so I had TP at number nine um he's just not an inside player I think keeping him keeping him just Out is is the best thing. But moving on, okay. Number eight, I had Trayvon Diggs, and this is a little controversial too, only because I just cannot get over the fact of that last third down where he just, oh my goodness, he just took the show and said, "Hey, it's over for y'all." And and I think that in itself was just such a beautiful bow on top of the game because had the Bengals continued that drive, their last drive, had they continued to get down the field, I really, truly think they would have scored a touchdown. I really... Oh, thank you, Trayvon Diggs. So um, I, I know there's been a lot of scrutiny following his name as well, but... I had to give him a shout out because if it was not for him uh, being there and and something I learned today from Dan Quinn was the headsets were not working correctly uh, during that play. And that was really just instinctual for, for Trayvon Diggs and and really the rest of the defense at that point. But, they were having technical issues during that play and trayvon still pulled out that stop so he's my number eight what about you brandon who is your 10 through eight
2: see those are the little nuggets you get when you listen to the writer's block i love it uh jess lp agree with your list um i think the reasoning terrence steele i didn't even think about where he's going against his uh predecessor in uh and lyle collins i think that that's a great point Number 10, I had Cavante Turpin. Uh, for me, the guy had, you know, he wasn't showing up on the stat sheet by any means, but his two punt returns that he had, the one right before halftime where it was a 20-yard return, uh, gave them more yardage to set up the uh, three points uh, going into half where it would be, you know, uh, 17 to three. Um, and that was just huge. It was, And if he if he juked out, the, I think it might have been even the long snapper, if he juked out, him he probably would have been still running uh and I loved also too the extra 10 yards he got on the punt return uh, on the final drive uh, of the game I think that the extra 10 yards to me this game is about every yard that you can get in a situation like that and We've always seen people like Cole Beasley and Cedric Wilson where they catch the ball. They try and do that same move, sprinting to the outside towards the sideline, and they'd be caught because they're not as quick. But for him, he has that deceptive speed by how small he is. And I don't think really until you play him, nobody knows how fast he is. So the fact that he was able to make it to the sideline, go upfield for a little bit, get out of bounds, not risk fumbling the ball, uh, I thought was a huge uh, turning point you know, for the game. Number nine, I'm giving some love to CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I don't know if he's higher on your list, but for me, it's it's a huge comeback for a guy who was dogged all week. Um, you know, he had 11 uh, targets last week with only two catches. This week, he has 11 targets and seven catches for 75 yards. So I think that CeeDee Lamb had a great bounce back game. He sent him more positive in the locker room and hopefully he can build on this moving forward throughout the rest of the season. And number eight, I had Leighton Vanderish. Uh, Jess was talking him up last week. I had him as my honorable mention. Uh, for me, I didn't, see it as much last week maybe I wasn't looking for it but this week I noticed him right away and like you said he was able to do the uh, old wolf hunter uh, howl which was great uh, when he got his when he got the sack but you know he was just all over the field and it was like vintage Leighton Vanderesh's rookie season so that was great to see and I really thoroughly enjoyed that um I'll let you guys talk about it but I'll go through my seven six and five for seven I had Donovan Wilson I know a couple people had him a little bit lower but the guy was a missile like he was a Tomahawk missile all over the field he stepped up in the absence of J. Ron Curse and I thought that. Building on top of last week, he might not have gotten an interception this week, but he really showed out as a sure tackler. Um, again, you know, Baldy's breakdowns highlighted him, so that was great. Uh, Six for me was Trayvon Diggs. I think, like, like I mentioned, you know, the turning point for me was that third down stop, knowing that. You know the headsets weren't working to me only amplifies that a lot more and just the instincts that the guy has and plays with um and then you know for five i actually had tony pollard i went off of what jess was kind of talking about last week how if you if you score points and you only want to score points in the game you should be high on the list and tony pollard was the only one to get a touchdown and he had that great uh pass i guess it was a catch instead of a run because it was a shovel pass but um you know just the guy is so elusive Uh, He's great on the outside, maybe not the best inside runner, but there were a couple moments where he's going in between the tackles, and he's just—you know—he's just so slippery. I guess is the best way to to describe him. And uh, he just had a great game, and I love the new helmets between him and Zeke. Uh, So I think they just look that much cooler. So we'll kind of circle back. We'll go to Jess. Any disagreements, or you just want to get right to your list?
3: No, I don't I don't have any disagreements. I really think for a game like this, it's it's hard to have disagreements when a lot of the guys stepped up as they needed to. Very true. Um so we are at what number 765? That's what we're doing. Okay. Yep. Number 7, I had LVE because um again, it, it's so good to see him really performing this season. I think uh, even last season, people were saying, why is LVE still here? This is why, because he can step up. And I think a lot of it is he has completely bought into the Dan Quinn defense. And, um, again, this, uh, I give all credit to Dan Quinn for this because he's bringing the absolute best out of these guys. And I think Leighton Vanderush is just the perfect example of that. Um, I have Brian anger at number six because hello, uh, Did you see what his leg was doing? Put his leg in the Hall of Fame because what a game for Brian Anger. I mean, man, I don't think the outcome of this game would have been the same if Brian Anger didn't have a good game. So shout out to special teams as well because they also uh, stepped up. Uh, And then number five, my best friend, Brett Maher. I give him credit where credit is due because – He won us the game with that 50-yard field goal. Um, Given I would have had him a little higher in my list, I'm just being critical at this point, it it veered a little bit for me. It veered a little bit for me that was like, oh, no, that veer, oh, that's a little worrisome. But he still made it. He's come in clutch, really, these last couple of weeks. And this game – uh, again, coming in clutch. So I had him in at number five. I know a lot of people, never me, uh, never me, counted out Brett Maher as, as the option to come in as the kicker. And I I just really think it's, it's great to see the improvement he's made since his last round in Dallas. So, again, I just want to point out I've never been one to doubt him ever. He's incredible, and he is money. So number five, Brett Maher. LP... We got
1: so my uh, seven, six, and five is very similar to yours. Uh, for me, I, I got Tony at seven, uh, and for all the things you said about Tony Pollard, he'd be a lot higher if he got more chances. And the reason why he's lower is I feel like they needed to play in the second half, and he might have been that spark, but he was kind of suppressed based on them trying to manage having Zeke in the game as well. So it kind of works both ways, I would say. Uh, but I say I haven't have met number seven, Tony Pollard. At six, I have Trayvon Diggs, too. I think we have the same thing. Diggs was huge in that game. And Diggs had a lot of near misses, as you said, Brandon, before, where he was just a hair off. Very close, very close. And I'm, I'm with you. I think the picks will come. I think his instincts have gotten even better somehow of playing the ball in the air. So I think he was very critical in the game. And we talked about the third down tackle. But I also believe he made a second down tackle on Joe Mixon before that play. It's not going to get talked about. It's going to get swept under the carpet. But I got to go with my guy, my hometown hero, out here in Maryland. My guy, Trayvon Diggs. He's six on my list, and then uh, Brett Maher five too. Uh, and and Brett Maher's that guy. And and I hate to do this, I'm like that movie that has obvious product placement, but uh, Transformers. Uh, but Brett Maher was on my list as well uh, in my uh, game five. Sorry, five stars on BTB, and it's because of what he's done. It's the obvious kick, but he's been, as I said, he's been perfect throughout this season. And I mean that in a literal sense, perfect eight touchbacks. You have his extra points are good. And that was his, the problem last time he was here with extra points. So he's perfect on extra points. He made the huge kick, those 50 plus yards. Yeah. That was a little close. Okay. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And he was very good yesterday. So he's number five on my list. So Brad Maher, number five Shout to you, sir. And also, I like that you said Brian Anger because Brian Anger was also key. He's not on my list, but he was key. So shout out to special teams. Shout out to him, Brett Maher, and our guy, Anger Management. Good stuff. Good stuff.
3: I also just want to point out, you, you mentioned uh, Brett Maher being perfect. It's its because he is. So I, I just uh, i have to throw that in for my best friend because he's, he's my best friend. But all right, Brandon, you're up next. Who do we got?
2: Oh, man. I, and I gave love to special teams last week, and I feel like Jess was looking at me like rolling the <laughs> eyes a little bit. But it, it, and I, I want to point actually, no, I'll point it out a little bit later, a uh, little tease for that. But uh, for for four, three and two, I, I got to start with with Noah Brown um, at number four. The guy has stepped up two weeks in a row now as the leading receiver. And not only that, but his connection with Cooper Rush, um, they came into the league together in 2017. And you could just it was so evident uh, from start to finish on the first drive, end of the game. The guy not only had five catches for 91 yards and a touchdown, but he was also the personal protector on all the punts. And you don't really see a leading receiver play special teams. And the guy – and he spoke about that uh, in you know his, his locker room. It's like in his locker room press conference um, – he said that that was so important to him to still be on special teams and be the leading receiver. It's something he works hard for every single day. He's finally getting his opportunities, and I love to see that. Uh, at number three, I have the man himself, Cooper Rush. Uh, I think that the expectations were so low for him coming into this game. Uh, he really stepped up. Who doesn't love an underdog story? The guy is now 2-0 and uh, for his NFL career. Uh, it seems like he always sets up number 19. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what, what happens now. Um, but you know, for him, he didn't play a perfect game. I would have had him higher on my list because of how crucial he was on that opening drive in the end of the game. Um, but there were a couple near interceptions that I wasn't too big of a fan of, and I think that's why, like LP, what you're saying, they played a little bit more conservative football because they're like, all right, we need to kind of tone this down. We trust our defense to take over. Uh, Let's just be conservative, try and get out of here with a win. Uh, It almost came back to bite him, but in the end, Cooper Rush was able to uh, march him down the field, get him in great position for Brett Maher to take over. Um, So that's, you know, number three. Number two. You might disagree. I have Micah Parsons at number two. Um, He's not my number one. I know. LP's going crazy. Uh, Micah Parsons is just a phenom. He impressed. uh, You know, he leads the league right now with four sacks, uh, five quarterback hits. Uh, the guy's just all over the place. He's on pace, I think, for like 34 sacks, uh, 60 quarterback hits. The guy's just unreal. So he's my number two, um, which, number one, I'll keep secret. But, you know, I'll, I'll throw it back to LP. Um, who do you got at four, three, two, 3 and, and why are you so upset with Micah Parsons being a two?
1: <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. So it's funny, right? I was going to say, are we going to just all announce it at one time? Like, and we're just going to go ahead and all at once and together announce who number one is. But, well, we'll talk about that in a second, I'm sure. Uh, but for me, number four was CeeDee Lamb. And I, I've always had this saying, and I, I tell this to a lot of people that I talk to, especially you know me, uh, with my kids, and I say, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? And so for CeeDee Lamb, we expected a lot out of him. So, and I, I'm big on just the narrative and the story and, and how you came to be where you're from. And so, or how you came from where you are. Uh, so with CeeDee Lamb, he was given the number 88. So a lot of pressure, a lot of privilege, but to whom much is given, much is expected. And with C.D. Lamb, he was given a lot of flack last week, a lot of heat last week. And it came from the loudest voice in that, in that, in that building, in that organization, uh, maybe in the NFL, maybe in all the NFL, in Jerry Jones. And to come out like that and play and perform Like you said, it was seven catches on 11 targets, 75 yards, and they were critical big-time catches. The the first down catch for 24 yards, the huge catch on the game-winning drive. CeeDee Lamb came out, and he did what he had to do when his back was against the wall, at least in my opinion. His back was against the wall. When you talk about a guy, can he anchor our our offensive uh, attack? Can he be a number one guy? He may not be a number one guy but he has number one characteristics and having the heart to go out there and perform in that situation where they thought he'd be the only viable option in the passing game. So respect to him, and he belongs to number four on my list. Uh, Now I have Noah Brown, and I didn't even know about Noah Brown being the personal protector on the plants. I wasn't even aware of that. But Noah Brown has been that guy since he came to the Cowboys who's worked really hard. And we've always thought that Noah Brown has talent, and Noah Brown is a contributor, and he can be a major contributor it's taken a long time to see it, but the way Noah Brown went out there, and it's just the first catch, the fourth and two. A fourth and two catch catch—and a ball that wasn't a perfect throw, but a, a catch that he had to make. He makes that play. He it makes a great grab in the end zone for a touchdown. Then the tip drill catch on the game-winning drive, I mean, I can't tell you how big that was for them to be in position to win the game if not for Noah Brown. So Noah Brown was huge, and even C.D. Lamb was so effusive in his praise about him and saying, we we're just happy for him. We were just happy for him. And I feel like even with C.D. Lamb saying that, like so many of Noah Brown's fans feel what C.D. Lamb was saying, that we were just happy for a guy who worked so hard to be so dedicated to covering kicks, to take – I mean, taking his lumps, even being a blocker, right? We know Noah Brown is a, a, a run blocker. So he's known for everything but catching passes, and he goes off like that for almost 100, 100 yards. So yeah, man, I mean he deserves my number three. No question. No Brown. And then number two, I have Cooper Rush. And for Cooper Rush, I know that we've been critical of how he played and we've been critical of just could have been better. Yeah, we could have, we could have been. But you know what? He was prepared to play. He was prepared to play. So I may have things to say about maybe his performance from, I guess, a physical standpoint, maybe a decision-making standpoint. But you may question the decisions, but you can't question what he was seeing. And he was being very aggressive. He wasn't scared. He wasn't conservative. He took his chances. And he played a great game. And he had that trust in him. And we saw this before with him. Because Cowboys Nation wanted to replace him after he won a critical game last year. So to do it again, it's key. It's huge, man. It's, it's huge. So a lot of praise goes to Cooper Rush. And he belongs firmly on my number two on my list.
3: All right. Well, I feel like we all uh, towards the top of our list have have uh, similar similar people, just different positions here. So, uh, number four, I had Donovan Wilson, and here's why: this is the second week he has shown everybody who exactly he is because he's a name that really has faded in the Cowboys' defense given injuries and and you know just not having the opportunities i think the tone of this team has been opportunities seize your opportunity take advantage of your opportunity donovan wilson has set himself up to do that and and this was a week we needed him to really step up and and uh, you know in the absent absence of jay curse like y'all had mentioned but I think Donovan Wilson is just getting started, and that is scary for any offense he has to face this season because this is still September football, and he's playing like this? Oof. I'm just excited to see him for the rest of the season. So uh, Donovan Wilson has my number four. Number three, Noah Brown. I mean, hey, hey. He just was incredible. I don't think anybody expected him to have that kind of a game during the Bengals game, but also just ever. I I don't think anybody actually gave him the respect and the credit that he has always deserved throughout his career. I think he's a guy that's always counted out. He's never in the conversation when he should be. And he's proving exactly why I think, you know, with the loss of Amari Cooper in the off season and even Cedric Wilson, which I think is a name that gets lost a lot in this mix. You're, you're really lacking that, that veteran on, on your wide receiver group. Hence the wide receiver one discussion with CD lamb. And I'm not taking away anything CD has done. However, for Noah Brown to come in and make the conversation now, Ooh, is CD wide receiver one, or is it Noah Brown? that is huge. That is huge for somebody who was counted out of the conversation to begin with. So I'm gonna go with Noah Brown for my number three. Number two, LP, your jaw's gonna drop to the floor. I had Micah Parsons because I gotta keep the people, I gotta keep the people guessing here. I gotta keep them on their toes and I can't just be known as the Cowboys Optimist who gives the people what they want all the time, okay? I, I love to keep people on this. their toes. I love
2: this so much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but hey, Micah Parsons, you can't live on my list at number one every week, man. Like, ugh, I, you're going to inevitably be my number one every week, right? But this week I had an excuse to shift him down to number two. So look, I'm, I'm going to say this. Micah is Micah. He's going to probably be number one every single week. So I just saw an, an opportunity to take where he was number two and throw you guys off a little bit. and Be like, oh, did she do that? I did that. Okay. So Micah Parsons is, uh, just our sweet prince protect him. I, I just have so much respect for him. And the thing is, is what I appreciate about Micah is his, oh man, his, his post, his post game conferences, uh, just really give you a, a look into his mind and the way he sees things, the way he thinks he talked about, uh, you know, going to, basically church and and talking to them about how, you know, you have to go through the struggles to get to the end of the tunnel, blah, 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 that whole thing. He's just such a solid guy. And this is only his second year. I cannot believe that in in this lifetime, you get to see Micah Parsons become Micah Parsons. And It's just so, so amazing to watch. So Micah Parsons without, uh, you know, any introduction is number two. But I'm going to spoil my number one for you because you're probably dying to know who it is. Number one is Cooper Rush. And that's because everybody was so quick to count him out this week or last week. I want to say I was one of the only people on Twitter, on podcasts, on every single outlet saying, do not count him out because I don't think y'all are giving him enough credit only because one, he knows the playbook. He works with Dak all the time. He got the preseason snaps. He has the chemistry with the offense. And I think despite all of that, everyone still said, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to see what Cooper rush is capable of. They were so quick to count him out and I think what he did was not a perfect performance. I, I think it it was it was a great stepping stone for what he can do. But I also really think that he went into that game with the best composure a backup quarterback can have. And I think that's going to be very overlooked is the composure that this man has. I mean, even during the postgame presser, they were like, are you even happy? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. But it, it is, here's the thing. I just have so much respect for him going out there and being risky. Some of those passes he was throwing, that shows you the amount of trust he has in the wide receiver core and that they have in him. That's all I'm going to say. Cooper Rush is my number one this week. So that's where I'm going to drop my mic.
2: Well, we'll throw it to LP first because it looks like he's been sitting on us uh, saying Micah Parsons is number two. Uh, I don't know if that means that he's your number (laughs) one, but LP, I'll throw it to you because it looks like you have something to say.
1: Y'all gave me the bait and switch. I'm sitting there playing my bingo board. Thing, okay, <laughs> so remind me to never play fancy with you guys, because you guys are are like the poker face, smokescreen king and queen out here. But uh, I mean, it's my, to me, it's Micah, number one. I mean, it's on the jersey. He's he's the number one twice over. Like he he's the one, man. I mean, okay, on, you I guys love are that.
3: I love just, that.
1: am I'm, I'm tossing gems at you guys, but not really. I, I think for Micah Parsons, he. And I really, I say, I say it with such conviction. And again, I have to preface you, I'm not a person who's really a defensive guy, but there are players that you see, like Jess said, every now and then in your generation, you're like, wow, that guy is incredible, is incredible. I saw it with Ray Lewis. I saw it with, seeing it with uh, Aaron Donald. This is that kind of defensive player who is just so explosive in every level of the defense where you can put him somewhere and, okay, go to town anywhere anywhere it can be from the inside from the outside he can be a weak side linebacker one play he he could probably play safety for you like he's just so dynamic it's just so explosive and we talk about the on the field portion of Micah Parsons that's him on the field and that's enough to tell you about him but you talk about him and he is one of these players that like Dak Prescott and I think he's a perfect uh counterpoint to Dak Prescott he just understands and he Gets it, he gets it. Like you, you talk about when Dak was a rookie. Jack just understood everything, and Dak just said the right things. And Dak was put against a lot as a rookie, from not the football field, but the, the interpersonal stuff, the interviews, the conversations. Um, and Micah Parsons just can just go anywhere. Just he just talks and he leads and he commands the room. Think about what his defense was, and I know I'm talking about narrative. I know we're, we're talking about just our top tens for right now. But Micah Parsons is your present and your future. And it's because of what you had in the past with your defense. This defense, in the time that I've been around, and maybe a couple years ago, I mean, for a time or two, they sucked. They absolutely sucked. And this guy walks in, just walks right in the building. Think about 2020. Think about that defense in 2020. And this guy just walks in the building and commands the entire defensive roster. And he just gets, he understands. Even him, and I, I know you can might be uh, kind of wavering on how you feel about this, but Michael Parsons saying to Undisputed, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And to paraphrase it, my team needs me. That to me is number one alpha dog mentality, and that's leadership in spades. And he's a phenomenal player. And I'm telling you, he's an absolute phenom. But as a leader Oh yeah, he's that guy. He's the one. He's Not- the one again. The one twice over. He's the one, Micah Parsons.
2: I love your passion, and I know Jess. You know, we've both been smiling this whole time. We we saw this passion on the roundtable when you first uh, debuted on the BTB network, you know, last week. And you're right. Everything you said is exactly who Micah Parsons is. Uh, Jess said he is our sweet prince, but Brett Maher is the king. He is my number one. I love myself some Brett Maher. Uh, his three kicks, he's three for three on the season, and they're 50 yards plus. The guy has been unbelievable since he took over the job. Mind you, the, the kicking job last season was part of the reason why Dallas lost uh, a couple games. And it's just, we, we've been in this sort of kicking cycle of not being able to find the right guy since Dan Bailey left, since Brett Maher kicked his way out you know, of uh, kick Dan Bailey out. That was good. I know I tried putting it together. I tried, Uh, but you know, Brett Maher his second time around, like LP, you were talking about stories. You were talking about narrative. How about a comeback story? This guy was ran out of Dallas. You know, he, he, for Kai Forbath, it's like, Nope, this guy's not it. You know, he's missing field goals. He's missing extra points. He's not our guy. Second time's the charm. Everybody loves a comeback story. And he's back, and he just he, – he beat out two guys that he wasn't even here competing with in the first place. And then all of a sudden he's just, you know, uh, kicking field goals, getting touchbacks, and everyone's like, you know what? This is the guy. And I have to respect the front office for making this decision because normally what they would have done in the past is just sit on Liam Hyruleahu uh, or Jonathan Garibay and say, you know what, we'll go through the gro- the growing pains. And then, you know, I thought they were going to be going through like – Five or six different kickers this season. I thought it would be that bad until they found the guy. But pretty Brett Maher was just sitting out on the street waiting for us to call him. And he got the call. He came in, and he has ice in his veins. And the guy is just so calm, cool, and collected. And I do have a clip. And I know you know this is my number one, so I guess it's kind of a little biased for me prepping this clip. Clip in advance, but you know Mike McCarthy talked about him afterwards with the game and the whole overall team performance. And Brett Maher talked about taking the most of his opportunities, uh, any chance he gets it, and what it means to be winning as a team versus not just relying on the kicking battle.
3: This was an excellent win for us. Uh, I'm just so happy for our players. You know, especially you know the time and. Energy because uh, we all have the same amount of time, but just the time and energy and focus they've put in the end of game situations and, and to go down and win that at the end of the game. Brett, I mean, I'm so happy for Brett. You know, he gets gets to come back home here and he makes the game winner. So we actually gave him the, the game ball here at, 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 in the locker room. So there
2: there. there it team. is. But now you're back and yeah. he's won a game for this team. Is that rewarding? Is that, I mean, how does that feel? For you? Uh, every opportunity is rewarding, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I'm happy to. To do my part with this group, um, the guys in the locker room are awesome. Uh, that this whole game was um, a ton of fun to be a part of. This whole locker room is a ton of fun to be a part of. So I'm embracing the ride and, and doing my part. Um, I guess I don't see it that way. Uh, there was 60 minutes of football that was, you know, really good on both sides of the ball um, and on special teams as well. So I feel like I did my part uh, today and continue to do so moving forward. Uh, a king leads by example, and the guy just, just is humble pie. Uh, I, I love him so much. Uh, Jess, you know, she, she talked him up last week. Uh, you know, she's best friends with him, but I'm I'm best bros with him as well. Uh, I have to give the number one spot to my man, Brett Maher.
3: Look, I will eat crow all day because everyone that knows me knows I was not a fan of this when it happened. During the offseason, I really didn't know what to expect, but he is a completely new kicker compared to what two years ago. And and I think he's just getting better and better. However, everybody, I really hope we are not jinxing him for this week. So, Brandon, I'm going to tell you to quit talking about him now, because if 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 he is jinxed, I'm looking at you. I am looking at you first, but. Yeah, I agree. I think Brett Maher deserves the praise this week because without him and if, if we did, you know, pursue maybe another kicking option, I don't think they would have had the trust in him or whoever it is to go for a 50 yarder to win the game. I to me, that says you trust your guy. Hey, you're gonna go you're gonna go kick it for fifty yards and you're gonna make it. That says trust and you love it.
1: Brandon, do me a favor, right? Do me do me a big favor. Yeah. When the Cowboys win the chip. And they make some cheap Lifetime movie about Brett Maher. Because I know you're going to probably be executive produce. Just let me be an extra, all right? Let me just walk on. I can impersonate <laughs> C.D. Lamb or Noah Brown. So when you get that, that those film rights and you're exec producer at Lifetime, can I kick it with Brett Maher?
2: Man, uh, you know, I'll you...
3: Oh, my gosh. I think what, Lifetime movies are great. I was going to say, right. yeah, don't, don't be fan. hitting
2: on, uh, on the Lifetime movies. No, I, I got you. <laughs> I got your number. I got your email. You're 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 in. And you know what? It's Sad like, card. <laughs> like Jess said, I don't want to be jinxing it. You know, there's still a lot of game left to be played in the season, but it's just to see the guy, you know, just come in. Nobody wanted him to be here. Uh, and just to see him kind of prevail and have his moment, um, you know, because, I mean, he was the only one to – get points on the board last week and just to see him take this role and run with it. And the fact that again, like I said, I mean, his three kicks are 50 yards plus that's, that's why he won the job because he has this big leg. The touchbacks are huge, like you mentioned. Um, you know, so special teams have been shown up and shown out for Dallas for the first two weeks of the season. So, I love it. Uh, we'll play a quick game uh, before we have to end the uh, the podcast here. It is. I, I brought the idea up to Jess. Uh, she loved it. Uh, I'm a big, like we said, big game person, uh, but I'm also big on titles. And we know that the Cowboys are part of the NFC East and sort of play off on words. They're going to be playing a bunch of NFC opponents uh this season of course and it's going to be we're figuring out are these players for these NFC teams an NFC beast or an NFC least and I have two names that I will bounce back uh between Jess and LP and they'll basically talk about are they fearful of these players or do they think that nah you know these guys they're they're not going to do so well so you know we have the Giants coming up on Monday night and you know we Uh, i know yeah terrible uh we could talk about (laughs) daniel jones but i think that two of the names that we should focus on lp i'll throw it to you first saquon barkley is he going to be a beast or at least this season i know he hasn't played a full season since 2018 but he's off to a fast start you know he's got 236 rushing yards a touchdown and averaging almost 120 yards per game so is saquon barkley going to be a beast or at least
1: so, I've always been very, very bullish about Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, I'm kind of a sports guy. I don't know if you, you guys are into boxing, but I was into boxing when I was a kid. And there was a boxer named Ricardo Mayorga. A lot of power, a lot of punch, a lot of pop. But that's all that he had. And if he didn't have that, he wasn't going to beat you. He wasn't a tactician, wasn't a defensive guy, didn't have a jab. That's who Saquon Barkley is to me, is if he doesn't have that home run hit on you, that's all he's going to do. He's going to run into the back of his lineman's butt. He's not going to push the pocket or push the pile. He's not going to protect very well. He's a fantastic athlete, but this defense and how they're performing and how they're playing against the Cowboys and the rest of his season. Well, let's see him against tougher competition that can actually stifle the run that can muddy up the waters that can actually play from sideline to sideline to prevent these big games. So I'm going to say least on Saquon Barkley.
2: Oh, that's a hot take. I love it. Uh, Jess, I'll have you, you know, talk about that briefly, but your name for a beast, or at least, is Kadarius Tony the rookie from last season. He had his best game last year against the Cowboys. So can he do it again on Monday night? What do you think?
3: Well, the way you set up that question, obviously I'm going to say no being me, right? But, uh, you know, I I'm forever going to be very bad at this game because I'm always going to have one answer. That's going to be NFC Least. Because here's the thing, when you have a team like the Cowboys, Okay, uh, which we all know, we all love, we all watch faithfully. I mean, I hope if you're listening to this podcast, um, you're a Cowboys fan. But I just think that the Cowboys can really stop most teams uh, that they come across. Now, that being said, when you're dealing with a wide receiver and the Cowboys defense, do I think any wide receiver in this league really has that great of a chance? No. I think the defense is too great. So ask me, maybe if the defense has a bad game, my answers will change. But if you're asking me about any kind of wide receiver in the NFC East that I think could be a threat to our defense, by NFC Least.
2: And also Daniel Jones is throwing him the ball. So I guess that plays a factor into it too, right? There you go uh we'll snake back going with the commanders uh first time team name for the season changing the name on us again uh it doesn't have to stick with players jess ron rivera is he going to be a beast this season and lead the commanders to a playoff spot maybe more so than the eagles i know they lost yesterday uh but you know ron rivera sort of on the hot seat um what do you think
3: I've always been a big fan of Ron, Ron Rivera. Um, I, I really, I've never hid that. I think he can be a great coach with the great team um, around him. I just don't think that this is going to be his season to really show the kind of coach he's capable of being. Right. So I think Ron Rivera is going to be an NFC, least for me only because you look at the NFC East as a whole. And I think the commanders are really less of a threat than they were in years past. Um, you know, you have the Eagles who really did step it up during the off season. You have the giants who are currently leading the NFC East somehow, some way. So I'm going to go NFC least, but again, I'm not very good at this game because that's always going to be my answer for the most part, even though I do like Ron Rivera. Sorry, I'm going NFC least my guy.
2: Well, and you mentioned, you know, we talked about the Giants. We talked about the Commanders. Uh, forgot to mention it up at top. John Ridgeway was claimed by the Washington Commanders. Uh, so he's with them now. And Jalen Smith is back on the practice squad for the New York Giants. So it seems like division rivals are kind of trying to stockpile Cowboys players for whatever reason. Uh, get some done. They notes. just
0: love
3: us. They uh, just love the Cowboys. They just wanna be the Cowboys. Like just say it already.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh for you, LP, I'm gonna give you a, a softball, a what they say, a a meatball uh throw. Uh Carson Wentz, what do you think? Is he gonna be a beast this season, finally turn the corner back to his MVP caliber <laughs> Eagles days, or is he gonna be a least and uh kind of crumble like uh, we know him to do in the previous seasons? <laughs>
1: So I was motioning to a softball because I hit it out the park, but this guy, uh, Carson Wentz. Hitching your hopes on Carson Wentz is the worst play in football. Uh, Carson Wentz has gotten by off of one season for his entire career, but Carson Wentz will always exhibit those same things that plague him as a quarterback. Poor mechanics, bad decision making, and playing way too much hero ball. You look at the defenses that are in his own division, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants, those do not bode well for him. And albeit they have good supporting cast, there's good supporting talent. Curtis Samuels a, kind of proving himself a little bit. You have Antonio Gibson, McLaren, and surprise player, Jahan Dobson. When he gets down to the nitty-gritty and you have to put pressure on Carson Wentz, he's being tasked to carry an offense. It does not work out well for him. So he's going to be my NFC least. So maybe I'm like Jess. Maybe I'm, I'm going to call the same things over and over again. But Carson Wentz, Least. Muy poquito. Muy poquito.
2: It's funny how I saw the stats for today, uh, of course, before the Monday Night Games were played, that Tua, Carson Wentz, and Joe Flacco are your passing leaders uh, so far in 2022 through two weeks. I was like, what world are we living in? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, You know what? We're... Kind of running down on time here. Let's keep it to either being the Beast of the East or Least of the East. We'll kind of end on the Eagles. They are playing right now as we're recording this. Jess, I will throw you the name of Jalen Hurts. What do you think? Is he going to be a beast, finally take that step forward, become the franchise guy, or is he going to be gone next year by being the Least?
3: Look, I'm just going to say – I I think we will see another season after this one um, of 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 him, but do I think he's ha- going to have great games against the Cowboys? No. So we're, I'm going to keep it short and say uh, NFC absolute least here. It's so the Eagles. What el- what else do you want me to say? Really. You're not going to get much out of me here. Realistically, though, I do think uh, out of the entire division, the Eagles are the team that you need to keep a closer eye on as Cowboys fans. Hone in on what the Eagles are doing because they did make some really good offseason moves that do concern me a little bit. Um, so I would say, if anything, just keep an eye on the Eagles. Don't don't count them out completely, but you can still talk your smack if you would like.
2: LP, what do you think of Hurts before I give you your uh, your last name?
1: I will always talk my smack on the Eagles, but uh, Jalen Hurts has definitely taken strides so far that I've seen as a passer. He's actually starting to just get it somewhat. And that was the most dangerous thing about him is starting to get it. And now he has a receiver who has a good chemistry with him. And you have two guys that could have good chemistry with him and Devontae Smith. Uh, I do think based on what that team has around him and when it comes to the Cowboys, he may be a problem. He may be a problem. The one thing that bothered me yesterday with the Cowboys was how they didn't maintain their rush lanes and allowed to to sneak out of there. So I do think the mobility can pose a problem. I do think the receiving help can pose the problem. Um, he may be, I hate to say this. He may be an accidental beast. He may be.
2: Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the mobile quarterback. It just seems like that's always Dallas's kryptonite on defense. But the last name, uh, it's sort of like if if the Eagles can pull it all together, it seems like it's going to be around this guy, which is Miles Sanders. If he's healthy, it seems like that they run as well as he does. Um, you know, the running game ended up being really good for the Eagles last season and kind of the big reason why they made it to the postseason. So, Miles Sanders, for you, LP, a beast of the East or the least of the East?
1: I think with him, he's going to be at least, and I I do think that the Eagles are starting to trust their quarterback more and allow him to do more. So with that said, I think it's just by natural progression, and I think Nick Sirianni, at the end of the day, he does want to throw the football more, and if not, using Hurts as the extension of the running game. So it's almost unintentionally I'm running the football by way of Jalen Hurts versus handing the ball to Miles Sanders, who, by the way, has a checkered injury history as well. So I feel like... For Miles Sanders and what's a contract year for him, kind of on a downward turn, I'm going to say least.
2: Yeah, I I think, like you said, contract year, health. Uh, I know a lot of people step up during a contract year, but I think the health is going to play a big part of it. Um, Really quickly, kind of final thoughts on, because the next time that we're going to be recording this podcast, it will be actually the Monday Night Recap uh, for the Giants game, you know, uh, first and 10, we'll be recording it, and then they will be coming out in the morning. So we'll be actually the podcast that takes over, uh, for the recap. So we'll see, it'll be good. It might be bad. Who knows? I'm hoping good, but like, what are you looking to see LP from the Cowboys as they take on the Giants on Monday?
1: So the more I think about that game and I, I think about this and I, know I made a boxing reference earlier, but as they say, styles make fights. And it's going to be a fight against the New York Giants. The Giants are really feeling themselves. They, they're 2-0 and for the first time in, what, 10 years? So there's a lot of confidence in that. But the one thing that I've watched with the Giants, and I said this way back in the offseason, was the addition of Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator. Their whole mantra and their whole motto is pressure, pressure, pressure. We're going to flood you with pressure and make you take hits. And you're either going to step up or step down. And I think that's what I'm worried about Cooper Rush. Is a is clock working fast enough to get rid of the ball? Is Tyler Smith equipped to be able to identify who's coming free and who's not? Especially if they make that choice, and I know I'm probably going to hurt myself by saying this, if they decide to play Jason Peters, how does that communication work against a lot of pressure up front? And, of course, how do you contain who is Saquon Barkley who can make a play here or there? So that's going to be my focus. Really, the Cowboys offense against the Giants defense, who I think is vastly improved.
2: Jess, for you, is it uh, penalties again? Uh, Trying to get that number down to zero?
3: (laughs) Oh man, don't get me started on the penalties. I feel like I'm a broken record at this point when it comes to penalties. Eventually, yes, I would love to see a game where there are no penalties. I would love that. However, uh, realistically, I, I what I want to continue seeing is what the Cowboys built upon the first half. I'm going to say the first half of the game against the Bengals. That's what I want to see them continue building upon because I don't think the second half to find nearly enough of what they are capable of playing like when they all play what's the word, complimentary football maybe? Uh, And and I think just continuing to see these guys step up and and really elevate each other is something I'm looking for because at the end of the day, we still don't know how long it's going to be without Dak. And I, I think taking it week by week and ensuring that Dak has that insurance when he comes back and getting those wins is really going to be, more of a lifeline later on down the road come uh, crunch time when those numbers matter and those wins and losses matter and especially with the divisional game you never want to lose them early because it can always come back later so that's all I got to say and and my puppy he's crying at the fact that I'm even talking about the the Cowboys even losing it's 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 not going to happen I'm uh optimist I'm optimistic again going into this game
2: I look at the uh, the tight end position and how a few years ago, uh, Blake Jarwin, that was uh, he seemed to dominate the Giants every time he stepped on the field. And I look at, you know, Dalton Schultz might be inactive uh, come Sunday. We'll see how, or Monday rather, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, at least he gets that extra day to rest a little bit. Um, but I think if he's out, it still doesn't matter. We have Jake Ferguson and Pen- Peyton Hendershot. Uh, those guys stepped up in the preseason. And I think that, you know, Jake Ferguson, he showed a lot. Uh, during the preseason where he can be a run after catch guy. Um, So I'm really excited to see what he can do if Dalton Schultz can't go. And I think that, again, you know, it's that continuity working with Cooper Rush in the preseason, I think really bodes well for their chemistry. So I – Listen, I think Dallas has definitely improved. Um, I think if they can master the game plan again, and hey, maybe Mike McCarthy's the secret sauce. You know, it's <laughs> shocker, an offensive coach being involved in the game plan. Who knew? Uh, you know, but I do think that, yeah. I, go ahead, LP. One more point. I
1: have one thing, though. If Schultz is out, I got to feel what they're going to do is you'll see less two tight end sets, and I also think that they may force one of these guys to play, whether it's Jalen Tolbert, Michael Gallup. Yeah. and that's my piece.
2: Ah, no, I like it. I like it, and I think between the two, I would have to say that they'd rather feel they feel more comfortable going with Michael Gallup, because uh, it just doesn't seem like that Jalen Tolbert. It's still developing. I know a lot of people are giving him uh, a lot of hate, but you know what, the guy's still young. Uh, you know, he's still learning, and I think that maybe mid season you might see him pop up every now and then, um, just for some reps. But I think it's a special teams thing where you know trying to. Um, you know, get on the field. It's always special teams on the back end of the wide receiver ride, wide receiver room. So I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, it'll probably be Michael Gallup between the two. But, yeah, that's it for today's episode. You know, I think we had a fantastic el- episode. LP, you are fantastic. We love having you on here. It's definitely not going to be yes. the last time. I know Jess was no. – uh, she she's like immediately uh, when we were talking on Tuesday, she's like, LP needs to be on the show. So uh, you won us over just by talking um, to – us through the round table so i'm sure everybody in who's listening right now has learned a lot about you uh be sure to follow lp uh on twitter at sdq flight crew and also check out his work on btb i mean that's what he's here for he's here to write and the passion that he's bringing to the podcast network he's bringing it to the to the page right and that's that's his bread and butter so uh lp any final thoughts before we sign off here
1: now nah, guys i mean thanks for being here i had a blast talking to you guys it's always talking to fans with a different perspective than me especially uh with brett maher at number one so oh yeah and cooper rush so all right
3: shady don't be shady lp no oh, but man. really thank you so much for coming on and and like i said i've been a big fan long before you were on btv long after uh long after this episode so yes this will not be the last time you see lp on here but thank you guys so so much for tuning in and we will talk to you after monday night football cowboys giants next week see you then